0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking. My name is Theo, and you're listening to Between Two Trains, the train station that brings you great entrepreneurs twice a month. Your hosts are Eric Moss
1: and Van Pappas. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride.
0: Welcome to another Between Two Trains. I'm your friendly financial planner, Van Pappas. I'm your better business banker, Eric Moss. So, Eric, today we are deviating from our normal course of action where we interview local Shambly and Dunwoody and Brookhaven small business owners, and we have um, two wonderful people, Beth Reddy and Jan Christensen, from the Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And so we're going to talk with them about exactly what that organization is. Beth, Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you so Thanks much for having us. Let's start off with, Jan, maybe tell us uh, what your role is, and and uh, we'll go from there.
2: Sure. So I'm the executive director of the Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and that's a mouthful. So our acronym is GCADV. And so my role um, as the executive director is to uh, make sure that the organization is um, healthy, in, in its programming and its finances and um, and the way that we treat people and uh, to uh, to know what we're doing right and so um, we we have a great staff and um, you know we have so many great things that go on at the coalition but I'm sure that you will uh, get into that or we'll get into that in a little bit but uh, but yeah Beth
0: yeah what's your role Beth
3: sure um... So I am currently the vice president of the GCADV board, uh, but I work. My full-time day job is with the district attorney's office in Forsyth County. Um, I'm director of the victim witness program within the the district attorney's office there.
0: That seems like that would be a, a very appropriate job to be on a board like this.
3: Yes, they were. Yes, very appropriate.
0: So, Jan, can you start us off with telling us a little bit about maybe some, I mean, I know very little about domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I want you to educate me and the listeners and tell us, you know, like, is how, how common is this? How many cases in Georgia do we see?
2: Right, that's a, that's a, those are great questions. And so the statistics tell us that one in four women and one in six men will be victims of domestic violence or um, interpersonal violence. Uh, and, um, and so we know those statistics uh, because we find them all over the Department of Justice, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, the National Network to End Domestic Violence, and so they update those all the time. Um, you know, we know that women are uh, more prone to being uh, victims of domestic violence and um, and because domestic violence is about power and control and oppression. And so, um, and women um, have often been uh, raised um, or groomed to be, um, not assertive, not aggressive, um, to just take a back seat and to kind of do what they're told many times, of course not all women. And so oftentimes when we're talking about domestic violence, uh, we will use she as the pronoun when we, we are talking about somebody who has been victimized. And so, um, when we say the survivor she was, and that's because women are so much more, um, have reported being victims so, so much more um, throughout their lifetime. And so um, in Georgia last year, um, I'm saying this off the top of my head, there are, were about 130 um, de- domestic violence, homicides. And, um, and that is not, uh, strictly, um, just a survivor or a victim, obviously in this case, this person hasn't survived, but it is also if a person has, um, killed the victim and then killed themselves or killed family members. Um, and so, um, and so that is everybody who was involved in the case, whoever lost their life. And so, um, and so we know that, again, domestic violence is about power and control and that, um, and that people who are abusive or who batter their partners um, use a number of dif- different tactics to um, really gain that power and control. And it doesn't necessarily have to be physical violence, right? It can be um, financial violence, emotional abuse. Uh, it can be threatening to take the kids away, which in itself is a form of emotional abuse. Um, and and there are a number of things, hurt, you know, saying that they're going to kill themselves or or you know the kids or um, so there's there's the threats of violence that often keep that power and control in place. And so somebody doesn't even necessarily even have to get hit, um, but the threat of that could be very real, um, depending on the relationship and how it's gone over time. And most times it escalates; it doesn't just stay at this kind of you know saying something. Mean to somebody. I mean, we all do that, right? As as people who have partners in our lives, we we all don't uh, behave in a healthy way sometimes, and and that is in itself is not domestic violence. What what we really need to 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 look at is that there's a pattern, a pattern of power and control um, in the relationship, and that somebody holds that power over somebody else in a way that is harmful.
3: I was just going to piggyback on Jan's um, thing, talking about a lot of times we see the coercive control component in it. And and that's often um, when I hear victims talk, that's the most that's the worst Mm -hmm. type of abuse that they go through that they will hear is the control that they're put through in the relationship. So that's Mm -hmm. a big one.
1: Well, Beth and Jan, I'm I'm excited That y'all are on, I I really think the timing is very appropriate. I know Van and I mentioned that this is a little bit strays from from the normal course of business for the podcast. But when you really think about it, um, we're entering the holiday season, which can be stressful on relationships. Uh, We're also in the middle of a pandemic, tough economic times. And also the nature of the pandemic, we've been on lockdown I would have to imagine that resources that are that I would that I'm guessing are offered and delivered through an entity like the GCADV. Did I get that right? Yeah, GCADV. Yes. I would imagine that that y'all um, are uh, a very important part of times like like these. Normally during the calendar year, but especially during where we are in 2020. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, that's so true. Um, Eric, It's um, so let me just really kind of really quickly, just baseline, explain what GCADV does. And so we are um, the federally designated coalition for the state of Georgia. So what that means um, is um, that we are tasked from the federal government to provide training, technical assistance, um, resources, uh, a, uh, a, a good strategic way to change policy and um, awareness around the issue. So we're tasked with that um, from the federal government and we do a lot of other things, but that's really baseline. And so we're tasked with doing that with all of the domestic violence programs in the state. And so what we've seen to your point, Eric, is that um, we've seen an, an increase in requests for services um, from our, our programs across the state. We've seen an alteration in the way many of those services can be delivered. Um, And so, you know, we've seen programs that have had to, um, you know, house people in hotels because they've been exposed to somebody who is COVID positive, quarantining them in their shelter, um, offering services virtually like counseling and these kinds of things in the safest way possible, because we all know technology can be hacked into. And so, so folks have really needed to alter the way that they deliver services. Court services, I'll let Beth uh, speak to that. Um, you know, are, are different right now, kind of in every county across the state, the way that they're being offered, if they're being offered. And um, and so, it's really altered the way that um, domestic violence programs have been able to deliver their services. I, I do have to say, in in. Uh, the programs across the state have done an amazing job at figuring it out. I mean, they um, we host a, a, an executive director listserv at the coalition and they will ask a question and get you know policy and answers in real time. And um, they've just been an incredible resource for one another
1: and have really been able to figure it out. So organizations, if I have it right, that have a mission for uh, addressing and supporting domestic violence with the end users, uh, have a relationship with y'all and then you work in conjunction to facilitate and deliver those services. Right.
2: Correct, Correct. So we, you know, offer them training on a variety of different things. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, how to answer the hotline, um, how to be victim-centered. We, we, we offer a variety, how to, how to deliver services in a very trauma-informed and human-centered way. And so um, we offer a variety of trainings, um, legal advocacy um, also. and um, And so as a coalition, we've really had to alter the way we do our trainings. Now they're obviously all offered virtually. Um, and um, our technical assistance has really been the last several months around um, helping people to figure out how they can better deliver their services during this very unique time. And so um, we, we've been really um, struck, I think by, um, you know, I heard a, a statistic or not really a statistic, a kind of a factoid from somebody at the national network to end domestic violence, um, who had been a director of the Louisiana coalition during Katrina, and she said that um, what we know is that right after a a public emergency, um, that service requests will go down. And we saw that in Georgia. People are like, nobody's reaching out, you know, what what does that mean? And then she said, all of a sudden, the you know what hit the fan, Like like people were coming out of the woodwork, because they got their immediate crisis figured out. But now the crisis is: I'm stuck at home 24/7 with this person who is violent to me, who is really um, abusing me and controlling me, and perhaps even being physically violent in some way. And 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 we all know that this time has, and I think you t- said, Eric, you know, has caused major stressors um, for folks. People have lost their jobs; they're, they're now, you know, working from home 24/7 together all the time, and. Um, it's it's really, really hard for people. And I am not making an excuse for somebody who is violent or um, for somebody who is abusive, but that can ramp it up. And we know that.
1: Help, help, help our listeners understand, Van, I don't know about you, but when I think of domestic violence, the image that comes to mind is very brute. It's, it's probably more like battery, but there's things, and you mentioned a progression of, uh, you know, course for behavior, or progression of behavior. Um, what falls under the the category domestic violence? What qualifies to be considered domestic violence? Beth, I'm gonna let you answer that.
3: Okay. <laughs>
2: um,
3: the definition I like to use the best, or the way I like to think of it, is it's one person, one partner in a relationship trying to gain control, keep control the whole time. So someone's systematic patterns of behavior, trying to maintain control in the relationship. And so, you know, we have in the business, we have a power and control wheel. And in the center of this pretty big, large circle is power and control. And then the outside of the circle, you have violence. Well, inside that circle are all the tactics that abusers use that we all know that we've all seen in the field. Things like intimidation of kids, um, intimidation of threats of abuse, um, any kind of financial abuse, holding the money, not allowing her to work outside, isolating her from her family and friends, um, Lots of, I mean, the list goes on and on. And they're gaslighting, minimizing the abuse, flipping it around, making her think that she is um, in control of the abuse. Meaning she, you know, did something that would justify the abuse. Um, so we see all of that inside of that. So, you know, it never amazes me to see a new tactic. Uh, you know, they're they're very different. Every relationship varies differently. And Jen, you can jump in here too, if, you, if you, this is incorrect, but I've seen relationships that have had abuse for 10 years and not one physical hit before just, it depends on the, the, and like I say, the woman in the relationship, the, the partner in the relationship, because, you know, she may have a strong personality and fight back. We know that a lot, a substantial amount of our victims fight back even physically sometimes. Um, And you just have to figure out who the abuser is and who is that person trying to maintain power in the, in the relationship. What do they do when they're losing control in the relationship, such as, you know, a a wife doing what she wants to at the end of the day, being late after work, whatever example you want to use. What are those actions once he's losing control of that and anything in between that, anything he does to, maintain that control and balance in his life can, can be considered domestic violence.
0: And I have so many questions just from what you all, <laughs> that you've been saying. So <laughs> ho- hopefully I can get through them all before we get to the end of the show. And when Eric was saying, you know, what someone like he and I think about, you know, yeah. I'm glad you defined that because the image that always comes into my head personally, when I think of, Domestic violence is that old '80s movie with Farrah Fawcett, The Burning Bed. I know I'm showing my age. Eric probably has no idea what The Burning Bed is. Oh, Wasn't that educate it was The Burning Bed, and um,
3: I don't. But the, Sleeping with the Enemy is a good one, right? Sleeping that, with that, the that enemy. There's like, another good example, one. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um. But my my main question is, you know, we have a lot of listeners here. What can I mean? You know, not everyone is knows someone or is involved with someone that this occurs to, but what can someone like me or my wife or Eric and his wife, what can we do to help get involved? I mean, obviously I'm sure y'all take financial donations, but if we wanted to do more than that, is there something that we can do to participate, to help this other than just tell the world on our podcast about it?
2: Yes. I mean, there, there are of course, great things that you can do to support somebody you know, what we often hear from victims is that, um, that their family and friends may cut them off um, after they found out that they've been victimized and perhaps tried to help them or gave them resources and the person didn't leave. And we, and, and the statistics tell us that a person leaves five to seven times or maybe even higher than that um, before they leave for good. And, um, and so what, what I would say to people is, is if, if somebody doesn't leave, like when you give them resources, or when somebody else is giving them resources, or what you think may be a way out, um, don't cut them off. Um, it is—I've um, uh, seen so many, so many people who have been victimized just um, not have any, any help or resources because they've been in a relationship for however long, and um, they've tried to leave a few times. And what we know is that. Um, especially for people from marginalized and oppressed communities, it's not that easy. Many of them are not gonna call law enforcement um, because law enforcement uh, may arrest them. We have a, a program um, called the Justice for Incarcerated Survivors Program, where we work with women in prison um, who have been arrested uh, for either, either um, hurting or killing their abusive partner or committing a crime under duress. And it's amazing the stories we hear. Um, and many of them landed that way because they did not have resources or a place, somebody to reach out to um, because everybody kind of really cut them off. And so it's really, really important to, to stay tethered to somebody. Even, if, even if, you, if, if you can't maintain that contact, let them know that no matter what happens, they can call you because you may not hear from somebody for a long time. Um, let them know that you believe them because we hear so many times that people say, well, he's this great upstanding guy in the, in the community and nobody will believe or nobody has believed that he is behind closed doors abusing me. And, um, and so, you know, I would just say, let people know you believe them, let them know you're here. Um, if they ever need to reach out or reach out again, Um, We often tell shelters, you know, leave your doors open for people, no matter what you've experienced from them when they've come through your doors. Um, You know, they they may be acting out of anger or fear um, and many times they'll return and uh, whether we think it's the right thing to do or not. What we need to remember is that um, survivors of domestic violence know their abusive partner better than anybody. They know the way they'll react to things, they know they, the way they won't react to things, they know what they'll do in certain circumstances. Um, and I will say that, you know, even, even beyond uh, marginalized and historically oppressed communities, like women who um, know that calling law enforcement will cause a bad reaction on their abusive partner or from their abusive partner will not call law enforcement. Um, you know, they know that they'll likely bond out the next day and um, that they'll be right home many times um, hurting them again. And so just, I, I would just say, maintain contact, let people know that you believe them, give them the um, statewide hotline number. Uh, and I am going to give that to you right yeah, now. Yeah, what is that? Do you know that? I hope you know it. <laughs> I do know it, I <laughs> know it. It is one, I, so I always have to look at the, um, it's 1-800-33-HAVEN. And so it is uh, 1-800-334-2836. And um, that is the statewide hotline number. And, um, you know, we encourage people to call that number. Um, They'll get connected directly with an advocate um, who can um, hear what they're going through, um, even if they just want somebody to talk to. Um, it does not have to be oh, look, I'm, I'm ready to leave, I'm ready to come into a shelter, I'm ready to get some services, even if they just want to talk to somebody, call an advocate, um, and, and they can at least, you know, uh, listen to you in an open heart and, um, and let you know what resources are available if you're ready for that next step.
0: You know, at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned some statistics, like I think you said one in four women and one in six men, something like that. I may have those numbers wrong. Um, And I wanted to ask back then, and we we went down a different path, but what about the LGBTQ community? You know, how is this something that's also a problem in, in those communities? I mean... Do you have any statistics about that?
3: You're three times more likely to be a victim of domestic violence if you're LGBTQ. Yeah,
0: three times more likely. Wow, three times
3: more likely. And those tactics that we talked about on the power and control wheel are a little different. Um, That it includes a lot of the same stuff, but also, you know, outing the sexuality of them to family members who don't know, um, using that against them, things like that. So it's a little bit different, but we do see that. And
1: you see, I'm I'm very curious because this is something that, you whether it's a rural or urban environment, um, it impacts all socioeconomic uh, levels of society. Um, Demographically, it's not unique to any. Uh, demographic, but regionally throughout the United States, are there certain hotbeds like Southeast, Northeast, you know, or cities that, that are um, typically have increased rates of reporting?
2: No, not that I know of. Um, It it is pretty standard across the board. Um, And, and in terms of reporting, we know that the, that the numbers of reporting are, are don't really reflect the actual numbers of violence. Many people don't report for reasons I said before, um, you know, for fear of actual law enforcement or for fear of their abusive partner, how that reaction will be. And so um
3: are shame. I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. have no intention of leaving or telling anyone just because they would never allow their family to, to know that they've been through this. It's just a very shameful.
1: Absolutely. Great point, Beth. Yeah. It's- definitely a tough topic. You know, Georgia has launched at statewide, has engaged the business community to team up and raise awareness uh, in sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. If you take a Delta Airlines flight, there uh, may have adjusted post pandemic, but there was a time where they, there was commentary. If you see something, say something. And, and um, yes.
3: great. Yes. Point. I'm, I'm gonna take a minute to talk about that because this is yeah. my soapbox that I talk about. Jan, you're gonna love this too. I feel like if there is a gateway to human trafficking, things like that, it starts with things like domestic violence. Um, And this is a terrible topic, but also child sex abuse. Those first things that you're living in, if you're living in domestic violence and experiencing trauma like that, you're already at such a vulnerable state that you are just for lack of better words you are a magnet to a world like that and it's awful but it really does start here and a lot of our research and conversation lately is about getting men involved in this movement it can't just be women um i know that women hit we know that women hit but I I firmly believe that they hit for a different reason. It's typically in a heterosexual relationship, there's still a power imbalance between the male and the female. And that's just the way it is. Um, Now, like I'm saying, women commit assaults, they commit, but it's typically a reaction or response to the trauma or abuse they're already in most of the time. That does not mean all cases. I definitely have cases where men do not strike, women strike. But when we're talking about these traumatized victims who are living this kind of lifestyle, there really is a power imbalance. And a lot of that fight, that movement is going to have to come from men in this movement as well. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Sorry, that's my soapbox. I'll wow, just... That's
0: good. That's good. So. The the G C A D V mean that is a mouthful just like you said Eric it's hard to say y'all need to figure out some Ackerman name so instead I don't have to say a bunch of letters but um, what what kind of do they put do y'all put on any kind of uh, awareness events you know uh, stuff that you know we can invite our audience to come. To, I, I don't know, tell
3: us what, what y'all
0: are doing for awareness. Absolutely.
2: Well, you know, this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So, this podcast. I did not know that.
3: All yeah, right. October yeah. is
2: Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And last week, was it last week, Beth? Last week, we had, a, we had a, an event, uh, more of a fundraiser than an awareness event, but we do do a race for empowerment every year that does raise a ton of awareness. Now, obviously we usually do it in the spring. We did not do it this spring. We are doing it this year in November. Um, It will be a virtual race like most other things have gone to virtual and it will be the Sunday before Thanksgiving which is not ideal, but um, we're hoping that giving people the The option of doing, you know, obviously virtual race that they can do it within a certain time frame. So that's Sunday, November 22nd, and um, it is normally held at Piedmont Park. It it draws a big crowd. Um, It's a great way to raise awareness. We have several hundred participants and cheers and um, it's really a great way to Really get word out about the issue. We also um, do a lot of promotion on our on our website and social media. Um, we're really out there on social media talking about um, um, how uh, how people can help with domestic violence. Um, we also shine a light on programs, on board members um, doing amazing work. And um, it is it, you know sign up gcadv.org or Facebook is whatever that is. I'm not a real big techie person. So Do a search for GCADV
0: on Facebook, right?
2: (laughs) Look up the Georgia Coalition Against Domestic Violence on Facebook. We also have a Twitter account and um, the other one, whatever that other one is. Um,
0: If if, if one of our listeners wants to participate in the virtual event, if one of our listeners wants to participate in the virtual event, is it too late for them to get involved or...
2: Absolutely not. If you go to our website, uh, gcadv.org, and uh, you can look for um, our Race for Empowerment. Obviously, our other event last week, it's too late for that. We're hoping to have uh, our Race for Empowerment in person in the spring. We'll see what happens. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, um, but very cautiously optimistic um, that, that we'll be able to do that in person. Um, and then next year we have our stand event, and which, is, which really is a stand together against domestic violence. And uh, we do that at Nelson Mullins every year. It's a great way for us to raise, um, raise some money. We don't get a lot of unrestricted money at the coalition. We're mostly funded by federal entities. Um, this year on our fundraiser, um, our virtual fundraiser, we are splitting our, uh, our proceeds with um, all of our member programs throughout the state. So that's over 50 programs throughout the state. And so um, we're trying to figure out exactly what that might look like. We don't raise a ton of money at our fundraisers. And and I I think that's because we don't do local work, so to speak. Um, You know, We don't have a shelter in your town and and we don't actually serve um, victims of domestic violence except for our Deaf Advocacy Program, our Bridges Program. that is a direct service program, but you know it's it's a little bit harder to raise money when when there's not um, this kind of thing that you're giving to. So we I really think, try to highlight our program work.
0: I think we need to do an event here in Shambly, and I envision like a Hands Across America type thing going through downtown Shambly. We'll all lock arms through downtown Shambly Road and and make it a big uh, a big awareness.
3: I, you do
0: that. I love it. I love it. I love that. Let's well, pop line about how we can make something like that happen here in Atlanta. Now, of course, hopefully, COVID would have to be gone because we can't be locking arms. We'd have to be spread six feet apart down Peachtree Road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that'd be that'd be quite the lunch
1: line <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but I love well, the idea of that I love the idea of local communities doing their thing doing what feels right for them in order to raise awareness about this issue raise awareness and, and money. Um, for local programs and the coalition, not going to leave us out of it. Um, but um, you know, we really, really pride ourselves on really. Um, we've really broadened our scope as a coalition to really look at a really holistic view of violence, um, and and so it's not just domestic violence. We know that violence is all related, right? And I, Beth is shaking her head. Like you talked about human trafficking, it's all related. Uh, all oppression is all related to violence, and so. Um, so we've really done a lot of work um, around underserved communities. We have some um, you know a, a, I want to say, um, black and African American survivors die at twice their population rate due to domestic violence in Georgia. Um, so we really concentrate a lot of our work on um, marginalized and uh, historically underserved or unserved communities. And uh, because we know that, for, for those folks in particular, they may not reach out to law enforcement they may not even reach out to a shelter. And then um, so we're trying to work with some of those communities and finding ways that they can find community solutions to the violence that's happening. In other words, elders in the communities or people standing in the community holding folks accountable in ways that are gonna make a difference.
0: Well, we have almost come to the end of our time. Uh, Eric, you got another question for
1: us? Yeah, I wanted to I wanted just to cast some light on something. If you go to the GCADV website, you'll see the tagline that we begins with me. Yes. And I it's something that that for a long time I've I've taken that mantra to heart. Um, and each week I spend time on Friday morning thinking how I can be a better husband, a better son, a better friend. And A lot of people, because we talked about the escalation gradual at first. Sometimes it's not a consistent pattern, but sporadic. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, when my wife and I are out to dinner with friends, and these are people we know, sometimes something will happen and it's awkward uh, between a couple, maybe an argument or just some bickering. And you don't wanna, you, you have the feeling you don't wanna say something. But I will encourage our listeners out there. Your voice matters. You have to be thoughtful on when and how you use it. But something as simple as I'm not choosing sides, but you should not speak to one another that way um, can go a long way. And it can be the start of of a healing process. So I just wanted to catch some light that we begins with me, Van. And that means you, too. (laughs) uh, Wise wisdom, Eric. I appreciate that.
0: Eric is definitely wise beyond his years. (laughs) Well, like I said, we're, we're at the end of our, our episode. And uh, <laughs> Eric, I appreciate you being back co-hosting. I know you were gone last episode and our friend Mark Apple sat in for you. He did a great job. Um, I encourage people to go back and listen to that episode with our new restaurant coming to Shambly. We need to, Eric, figure out how to get Mark on the show more. So, um, ladies, Jan, Beth appreciate coming on um i think you gave the phone number you've given the web address is there any other data that our listeners need that's pretty much everything they need right go to gcadv.org and check it out and uh, sign up and uh, do your part and we'll we'll talk about what we can do here in shambly offline so thanks again for for the show
2: thank you bye-bye